Just put some soup in their veins. And then... <laughs> Could that's you imagine? In it- that's in Italy. Could you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine? It's like a boiling hot broccoli and cheddar. Just <laughs> getting injected into your veins. I mean, it probably wouldn't feel good. While some lady in the background is like singing Amazing Grace. <laughs> <laughs> and we there's... call it procedure here in Louisiana. <laughs> and it's just gumbo. <laughs> Putting gumbo in a man's arm. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Gems of History podcast, where we won't inject soup into your veins for not listening. <laughs> Unless you don't give us five stars on that, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So tread lightly. Yep. I am your host, Jacob Shop, and joining me, as always, I have the wonderful Evan Roosh with me. Hey, 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 everyone. How are we doing today? Doing just great. Love the Friday recordings. It's just it feel, is the best day to record. Just feels statistically. So, oh, based on the polls that we did, all the all of our polls. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I just feel so relaxed. Just ready to take on the weekend. You know, maybe mow the lawn. Yeah, maybe. you got a jungle growing out in your yard right now. Well, every so I live in a condo. Wait, yeah, I live in a condo association. I guess I can share that. Yeah, I don't think anyone's gonna feel like ah, now I know. Yeah, <laughs> with their hot pot of soup ready to come for me <laughs> in my veins but uh every single time they try to come and mow my lawn they claim that there's dog waste in the front yard and i know that there's none because zuki doesn't even go in the yard so i know they're lying <laughs> so they're like how could we get out of this it's just another episode of evan versus the condo association or the, the people yeah or the people that live here like those kids that threw snowballs yeah. Or the man who thought that ghost dogs were you're sitting just, on his chest. You're just slowly creating enemies somehow, <laughs> even though you haven't done anything wrong. I've said like seven words to my neighbors, but yeah, just enemy, enemies abound. And that'll happen, I guess. Yep. But how are you? I never ask you back. <laughs> I'm good. Uh, In all these episodes, I'm never like, let's see what Jacob is like. Uh, I'm doing good. You know, I spent most of the day today doing notes for this, and I kind of procrastinated on them, so... Hopefully, I didn't miss too much stuff that I wanted to throw in here, but I think we should be good. This is probably one of those episodes that people, I doubt that they'll be like, you guys actually missed a lot of the uh, executions. Well, there's just so much stuff. It's like whenever you type in anything about executions at all, it's like modern day U.S. death penalty. It's like, I don't need any of this stuff. I need like the juice. Give me the juice. Right. It gets very political very fast. Yeah. As like you would expect just with Google, but. What? And there's a fine line you need to ride with this where it's not just us constantly talking about like brutal ways that people are dying, <laughs> like specifically. Right. So, we're not saw, you know? Yeah. We're just trying to give you an overview, you could call it. Yeah. But yeah, today was good. I went to a concert last night with a couple of buddies, saw some uh, local acts. Love it. Love it. That was a lot of fun. It's a band uh, called Misery Signals. They've been around for like 20 years or so. They're from Milwaukee. So. Got to see them for the first time, so that was cool. Rock on. Yeah, and then I'm going to see Rage Against the Machine tomorrow. Oh, with uh, Run the Jewels? Yeah. That's going to be excited. so That's going to be so cool. Going to Alpine Valley, which is a Wisconsin staple venue. I feel mm-hmm. like you kind of have to go there at least once, but it was the big hopping place back in the day, big open air venue. So we're tailgating out there. Parking lot opens at like three and the show's at eight, so we got plenty of time to just go 
wild until then. Dang, that's a solid five hours of shenanigans. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a good time. You're going to play so many bag games. I'm very excited. You're going to play a lot of cornhole. I hope so. (laughs) Or beer darts. Either one. But I told told my buddy John, who I'm going with yesterday, because he went to the show with me yesterday. I told him, I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to just get super drunk before the show because I actually want to enjoy and experience the show. So... We're all going to demand a status update on at Monday at 1 p.m. Central Time. I will take I'll take Snapchat pictures as the hours progress and see where I'm at. It's just your like hair gets slowly messier and the last <laughs> one's just aimed at the sky. Yeah. Like. But yeah, today we are talking about something that's not quite as fun as going to concerts and having a good time with your friends. I guess depending on who you are in the situation, because this, they were pretty much the concerts of back in the day. Right. They These were the gathering events. Yeah. So we're talking about the history of executions, public and otherwise, because I think it's a fascinating topic to see how we got from like medieval times where they were just going hog wild and experimenting with whatever ways they could kill someone. And now we're just at injecting people in a closed room. So with only 10 people watching, you can't even stream it. Yeah, right. You can't even bring in your cameras. Like, come on. I want to I want to be there with my friends eating a hoagie and drinking a beer. Just like, having a big old corn like dog back like, in the day. Like it's the fair. Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to go through that, that today. So and we're like I said, we're not going to like go into super gruesome detail on most of it. We will add a few part a few points. So if that is not something that you want to listen to, then this is probably not the episode for you. And if this is your first time listening, this is not what we usually, well, we do this sometimes, Mm -hmm. but yeah, usually we're a little more fun and lighthearted about it, but we're still going to be a little lighthearted about it because a lot of this stuff is ridiculous. I mean, we did just have a full two minute conversation about putting soup into people's veins for execution. Lighthearted. (laughs) Yeah, right. It was a light broth as well. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Low calorie. (laughs) Salt free. Wow. Yeah. Low sodium. 33% low sodium. (laughs) So yeah, uh, we got a little bit on like the electric chair. Evan's got a few of the most famous executions throughout history that we'll talk about. So yeah, it'll be a good, I think it'll be an interesting episode. Absolutely. It's going to be extremely cool to dive into just how public all of this was. Yeah, we're going to dispel some myths about like the hooded executioner trope that you see in movies and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And also just how, in my opinion, I mean, everyone was very obsessed with these public executions and... Oh, maybe that's why we're so messed up today. Now we just have movies. Yeah, we love true crime. Like, that could truly be one of the reasons why we love true crime. Yeah. That genre today. Even in the 1900s, when times changed and there really wasn't a ton of public executions anymore, like, people were still fascinated. Like, that's when serial killers became the rage. Yeah. Like, in the mid-1950s. Yeah. Or mid-1900s. People have always been fascinated with true crime stuff it's just mm-hmm. that now we have so many more avenues of exploring it compared to back then where oh. you just had newspapers and stuff in the olden times and now right. you have multiple documentaries on serial killers and all that so it's a crazy how every single channel of media has true crime oh you yeah know, like from podcasts to youtube videos to like pop-up ads for oh yeah hulu shows there's or whatever. a literal game called hunt a killer where you can just try yeah. and track down a killer so i want to play that so bad yeah it's, it's 
sounds fun. Yeah. And there's plenty of podcasts that give you discount codes. <laughs> so what if it turns out, how have we not gotten one? Someone, yeah, spon- I, I, someone pay us money to fart in microphones. That's all we do. Yep. But yeah. Shall we get into it? Let's oh, wait, in. actually, before we get into it, yes. we are doing trivia today. So Woo-woo. this is, I guess, every Friday we record, we're just going to do trivia. You so. put in just like extreme like game show music just for da, 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 da. <laughs> John Cena. <laughs> no, that was the Price is you Right music. You can't see me, my time is out. <laughs> that was definitely John Cena. No! That's not what you did. Yes, it is. That's the beginning of the song. Evan uh, doesn't know his game show music. My mind, I guess I just have John Cena on the mind, as always. It's because no <laughs> one can see him. We want to find him. I know, I'm always alert for when he's just going to be right around the corner. But I can start us off with trivia. Which Greek historian... Oh, wait. No, I don't want to do that one. Just kidding. Wait, no, I do want to do that one. Which... <laughs> we're off to a hot start. We got this dial in. <clears throat> Which Greek historian is known as the father of history? Is it A... Socrates, B, Herodotus, C, Plato, or D, Monocles. That's a funny last name, but it is Herodotus. It is. Snaps for Jacob. I don't know Herodotus. how I just, I, that one just, pop, once you said his name, I was like, yep, it's that guy. Could you tell because it has like Herodotus and history, you know? No. Oh. <laughs> that was not where I got it from at all. It just sounded familiar, so. But yes, he wrote the first ever true account of a major historical war, and it was a detailed account of the Greco-Persian War, which if you're not familiar, or excuse me, Greco-Persian Wars, uh, which if you're not familiar, included different battles such as Thermopylae and the other, uh, like the sacking of Athens, as well as just countless battles uh, in that time. I'm amazed we just haven't covered Thermopylae yet. Like how have we? We brought it up like four times. I'm pretty sure, and still haven't done it. So we bring up the Spartans every other week, just like in private conversation. <laughs> yeah, we should definitely do a Spartan episode soon because I'm gonna keep forgetting about it until we do it. <laughs> All right, intern, write that down. Yeah, yeah, you over there, put it in the notes. I just pointed to my dog. <laughs> All right, mine is not as fun as yours, but it that has to do with to our topic so today. Hard. So. George Stinney Jr. was the youngest person to be executed in the electric chair at a mere 14 years old, and he was exonerated 70 years afterwards, but how long did the trial to convict him take? Was it A, 5 minutes, B, 10 minutes, C, 30 minutes, or D, an hour? It's going to make me very sad, but I think it is A. It is B, 10 minutes. 10 minutes, wow. It took 10 minutes to convict him. He was convicted for the supposed murder of two girls. And then in 2014, he was executed in 1944. And then in 2014, his sentence was officially vacated and he was cleared. So I guess his family gets some sort of justice from the situation. But yeah, very sad. What state was that in? South Carolina. Really? Wow. Yeah, 14. That is crazy. Yeah. And back in the day... And 10... What year was this? What did you say? 1944. Wow, 10-minute trial. Yeah. Not a good time for... The Salem witch trials were longer. Yeah, right? I know. They had to walk in backwards and stuff. Oh, it was a whole production. it was a very big production. But 
that was definitely just a callback to ancient or like uh, not ancient but like medieval executions where children were by no means exonerated from these experience of being hung in a public square not no not one bit i mean one of the first ever hangings in england i know we'll get into a majority of them later but just appropriate to bring up now like the english in 1708 actually hung a seven-year-old and a 11-year-old for guess the crime uh writing a, a naughty song they stole a loaf of bread. Ah, so they really aladdined their way to the gallows. They aladdined their way to the gallows. That's a. <laughs> do, you think if... the, do you think that song was playing? One step ahead of the lawman. Yes. <laughs> I sang that song in high school. I don't remember the words. But yeah. Except they were not one step. That's terrible. <laughs> they did get yeah, caught. They did get caught indeed. They didn't yeah. have a pet monkey friend. That's why. Or a genie in the lamp. Well, I guess he did. Robin Williams just wasn't alive then. Yeah. But shall we get into our main topic for the day and discuss the history of this gruesome thing we call executions? Absolutely. Let's do it. So as everyone can probably tell, as humans, we have a pretty big penchant for killing each other in one way or another. Uh, But most of the time, that death isn't something that can be considered a legal precedent. So what about state-sanctioned murder? Uh, obviously, as we mentioned, it's a very hot topic debate in especially the U.S., and it comes up almost every election cycle. Different people will say I'm for or against it, depending on where they're running in, and everyone out there probably has their own opinions on it. But that's not what we're going to get into today. We're going to discuss today the history in both Europe and America, kind of see how things changed over the years till we got to current day. And kind of focus on what was the reasoning behind public executions back in the day, and then like what are some of the modern day changes in method, like methodology. And as I mentioned, Evan's going to go through a few famous cases and see kind of what happened to who and why it was such a big deal. Very excited to get into this one, just because it is probably one of the most highly debated topics in our country for sure, and. I mean, around the world, over 70% of the countries have actually abolished capital punishment in like any form. Yep. So it's definitely a hot pressing topic. And it's also ironic that Europe is just like, just with their insane history of finding these crazy ways to kill people, specifically women who were, happen to be witches, but just anyone could catch a quick sense of the gallows. But all the, all the countries in Europe and the majority of, I mean, all of South America, majority of Africa, like they've all abolished this. Yeah. So it's, it is very interesting. Asia, not so much. <laughs> China, India, Japan, and Malaysia love the death yeah, penalty. China specifically <laughs> loves the death penalty. And loves I mean, the U.S. The is not like that far behind them. We, we do enjoy it, uh, not as a whole country, but as like half of the country still has it legal. So we, we still do it quite a bit. But yeah, China is, is very kill-happy. <laughs> they have literal vans for killing people in prisons and stuff. So yeah, they know, they know how to do it quickly and efficiently. Oh, yeah. And actually, I was mistaken. Uh, it's not Malaysia. It's Indonesia that has it. So I apologize for that, for all of our Malaysian listeners. All one of you. But for the beginning of the death penalty, uh, it's been a punishment basically since the beginning of organized human civilization. 
in the 18th century BC when the Code of Hammurabi, who is the king of Babylon, he's pretty much the one known for the first written set of Code of Laws. He set in place 25 different crimes that would be worthy of the death penalty. So that was the first time it was ever in written code what crimes specifically would warrant being put to death. Although there wasn't really any historic records of any of these executions taking place. They just record keep that way. So the first recorded execution was in the 16th century BC in Egypt, when a member of nobility who was unnamed was accused of magic and ordered to take his own life. What kind of trick do you think he did? It's just like a uh, like ancient time card trick. He, <laughs> oh, no, he, he did the he I got up, your nose thing. <laughs> oh, he did that to the Pharaoh, and he was like, I am Pharaoh, son of Ra, and you now have to drink now poison. you have to die. <laughs> yep. Bends the brakes. That's how it works. Mm-hmm. So throughout the next 16 centuries, when, like from BC to AD, multiple different empires set up different codes to put death penalty into writing for crimes such as theft by a slave, burning a house, or a stack of corn near a house, making disturbances at night in the city. And no, that one I can agree with. I'm, trying- <laughs> <laughs> I'm an old man now. I need my sleep. Right, yeah. Uh, willful murder or publication of insulting songs. So it's funny how we go from like arson, which is very bad, to theft by a slave, which is like stealing something that's not that big of a deal. And then it's like making disturbances and then willful murder. (laughs) Weird Weird Al would be just at the stake by 16. The the range of different things that you could have gotten executed for. It doesn't change that much throughout like from 400 BC to 1600 AD. The amount of crimes that you can be... uh, executed for is pretty insane but going back to our ancient times the punishment for these crimes that i listed ranged from crucifixion to burying alive to being impaled alive none of which are fun oh that burial i hate all those but specifically hate the impaled one because it i feel like it would just stick there for a while yeah well i'm just bleeding out now it literally just pushes your guts up into your like chest cavity and that's pretty much how you die (laughs) so not a fun time but one of the most interesting methods of execution took place under the romans as is to be expected and it was a punishment for the murder of a parent and the punishment included putting the condemned in a sack which also contained a dog a rooster a viper and an ape and then throwing that sack into a body of water. How big of a sack? Like, how big were sacks back then? <laughs> I, don't, I guess big. Holy. Like a full, like I'm assuming a man or a woman, like a grown. That is nuts. I that that has the, to be the, I, oh, I definitely feel bad for the animals. I feel for bad sure. for the dog specifically. Because like yes. a rooster, a viper, and an ape, those are all going to some way assault you. But I feel like a dog's just like there. Yeah, a dog is literally just like, can I get a boop or two? Yeah, well, the ape is beating the living hell out of the person in the sack. That is just so... And throwing it into a body of water. Yeah, as, as if, if the, it wasn't bad enough. As for if it. the cage match wouldn't be enough. Yeah, right. I did read another thing. I don't know what time period. I don't think it was this time period. It might have been later, where they would just tie someone in between two ships and cover yeah. them in honey and then let a bunch of bugs in like a marshy area just come and slowly eat away at you, so... <laughs> they were creative with their punishments. I know there's one, and I think this is pictured in a movie as well. I can't remember which movie, but it's literally 
you person gets buried up to their shoulders and gets put like honey on their head and like by a fire ant nest. Ooh. Oh, and the ants would just I think that might have been a old Native American. I don't even want to say that because I don't know if it's 100% true, but that was one, and my God, yikes! fire anted to death. Uh, one of the most famous people that was put to death by the state around this time was Greek philosopher Socrates in 339 BC, and he was sentenced to death and was required to drink poison after apparently corrupting youths. Really? Yeah. The father of modern philosophy pretty much yep he corrupted the youths apparently (laughs) you can't mess with the youths so once things turned over from bc to ad there wasn't really a whole lot of change in the way of executions for a while many of the jewish communities copied the roman execution methods and took to crucifixions stoning hanging beheading and throwing criminals from rocks i guess we never that that's kind of one maybe one of the things that we just kind of forgot about our private school education because we definitely knew about the stoning. Yeah, they, they for had, sure. They had the stoning down pat since they like left Egypt. Ah, that would suck. The Israelites, like, shout out the Old Testament. That would suck. Just getting like 10-pound stones thrown at you throughout a day until it finally kills you. Right, because it takes a while yeah, to get stoned to death. I'm not mean, just catching one in the block and You have to think of stones out. that people could hold and throw inappropriate like speeds Mm -hmm. so it's not like they're taking giant stones they're taking like small stones and whatever they could really pick up one of the most infamous examples of this type of execution by the jewish communities is obviously the crucifixion of jesus christ and about 300 years after this constantine abolished crucifixion and multiple other cruel death penalties in in the roman empire only for Theodosius to make more than 80 crimes punishable by death in 438 AD. So, 100 years later, they all came back. Oh, right. And a man named Priscillian in 385 AD, so like around 100 years from when, when you just mentioned, but he was accused of being a Manichaean, which was a religion that directly went against the Christian church, just because it believed that life on earth was and i quote here that life on earth is the worst <laughs> and that <laughs> would have fit in perfectly today oh he was such an emo boy and how before. nihilistic the world is right now <laughs> yeah. but the religion states that life on earth is the worst and that true knowledge comes from just learning about the soul like that's how you save your soul by learning about the soul um can you imagine this guy's twitter I think about that all the time. The amount of memes he would make about just not being alive. <laughs> Can you imagine what old JC's Twitter would have been like? Oh, gosh. <laughs> His comment section would have just been, like, not great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Emperor Maximus of the Roman Empire declared him a heretic because at this point the Roman Empire was Christian. And Priscillian was... Guess which? Guess what was done to him? It's the first ever of this uh, sort of execution. Oh, gosh. Um, burned at the stake? Beheaded. Ah, got him. The first time someone was, he shouted off with their heads and off went ahead. There it went. Yeah, beheading became the very popular one amongst, especially the nobility at the time, because it was seen as a more dignified way of dying. So, Oh, yeah, and especially for religious and political rebels that's how the roman empire roman empire for a long time handled their yeah their little 
roughhousers. Yeah, they were like, ah, should we keep hanging people from trees? Because that seems like it takes a while. Maybe, were, maybe we should do something that's a little quicker. They were actually very like earth conscious. They were trying to create a sustainable <laughs> environment. Well, and like, well, we're cutting down all of our trees for hanging people. As we'll see in a little bit, there is some portion of history where cutting a tree was a executable offense. So it gets wild. So as I just mentioned and Evan just mentioned, the most common way in this time period was beheading for executions. And it wasn't really until the medieval times when executions really kind of hit their heyday in terms of how crazy can we make this so that it's a real public spectacle. And in the medieval era, the public execution was made to accomplish a couple different things. So first of all, the spectacle was meant to shock spectators because if people see someone else getting hung like that, then it's probably going to dissuade them from doing anything to get themselves in that position. And that's where the main purpose was, is to reaffirm a government's divine and absolute authority. Because before the early, or in the early days before any organized policing, it was much more effective to show a display of power as a deterrent instead of a efficient way of policing because a lot of criminals at the time period were not getting caught. So yeah. this was saying, if you continue to live in your criminal lifestyle, if we do catch you, this is what will happen. Which is very bonkers approach. Yeah. Because, and, and just like, well, you're not going to catch the actual people that are like true crime doers, I guess. Like I mean, consistent they, crime yeah, doers. Yeah, you catch the the few that you catch and then you make a public example of them is basically how they they took this and ran with it. Which I guess at the time is like we don't have any sort of organized law enforcement method here, so we might as well just take this and make it as brutal as possible. They probably got so psyched when they finally caught someone. Yeah. It's like catching a big fish, but it's just, you know, a human. I mean, what type of police methods are you going to use? Like, oh, yeah. honestly, unless you catch someone literally red-handed, you're, you have no other way of proving it. So, Right. As a man named Joel F. Harrington put it in his book, The Faithful Executioner, Life and Death, Honor and Shame in the Turbulent 16th Century, quote, The court condemnation, the death procession, and the execution itself constituted three acts in a carefully choreographed morality play what historian Richard Van Dulman called the theater of horror. Basically, when a person was sent to the gallows, it was a chance for the executioner to, quote, aid the sinner in their atonement for their crimes and grant them a swift death. And it was also a chance for the courts and the judiciaries to prove that they could and would punish someone as thoroughly and painfully as possible. So it was, it was definitely a power play, and there was... It, it was very, as, as he says, choreographed. They, mm -hmm. they made sure to have the same sort of procession. They would convict someone. They would have relatives come and visit with them. They would have relatives of the person there. If they, say, murdered someone, they would have the relatives of that victim come and say, I know you're penitent for your sins because you're going to the gallows. So here's, some, here's a, an apple pie for your troubles. And then it would be like, that's their exoneration from their sin before they go and pay the ultimate price i guess that is such a spectacle just you know i'll have my friends and family all come in to yeah to check things out before i get hung 
and invite like the people watching like hey there's a hanging in our town you want to come stop by yeah when you think about it in the case of jesus's execution yeah he was paraded through the streets he had to carry his cross up the up to the hill where he was executed so it was a very large public spectacle and everyone who had any qualms with him got to yell them at him on the streets so it's a very easy way to both shame the the criminal in this in the case of whoever it is and also for a family to see the justice that they think they need getting done so and like you mentioned dissuade anyone from potentially doing yeah the same exact crimes and again just drawing parallels throughout history it's crazy every single culture did this yep like across the earth at this time and just still today yeah it, we humankind I mean, not is in, wild not in the same methods but it the same Ba- the same backing yeah. information for every single thing so each had its own create they use like nature yeah and, like their local animals sometimes <laughs> yep. to really make the most effective way so the executioner's job was a very precise and intense one if you couldn't already gather that because it was their job to make sure that this prolonged drama went smoothly and sometimes those who were being sent to their death were even allowed to wear their favorite outfits or were given alcohol to kind of help ensure that they would comply with the execution and make it as smooth as possible, which I guess you really have to balance how much alcohol you give to someone because it can easily become belligerent. But well, at least they let them like before they die pull off their best fit. You yeah, know? exactly. Like, like dress to the nines. There is one example. It said there were a woman was able to wear her favorite straw hat when she put her head on the block to get executed, so that she would be more comfortable i guess i don't know it's like she puts it down and it keeps on falling off like everyone stop my hat's off hold on no gotta put it back on all right and continue, then someone sir. in the back's like hats off to you and then they got to be headed <laughs> and then the other person next to him just nudges him and says wow looks like she lost her head there unbelievable the spectators were sometimes loud and drunk because as we mentioned this was a very public event for everyone else that was not being executed to attend, which put more pressure on the executioner to keep their nerves in check. And before the execute or before the condemned would be executed, they would be allowed to say some last words, which would sometimes include singing songs with multiple verses and giving long farewell speeches, which would sometimes throw off the executioner and cause a, a hitch in the whole experience. And this is where the filibuster was born. Wow. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> but you're the executioner, and everyone's raring to go for this, this huge show of an execution, and this person will not shut up. So one, the, as the executioner, you're getting annoyed because you just want to do your job. And two, the crowd is getting even more rowdy because they're just waiting for this person to die. <laughs> so it was, it was very tense for especially the person committing the deed of doing it. So. If if you get them too wound up, mm-hmm. you're just looking at a more painful death. Wow. You almost have to like play a little politics while you're going up. Yeah. It's like I'll, if you get in that executioner's head, then he's just going to take his... He's not going to be on his A game to make it instant. Well, and a lot of times, especially in nobility cases, when they would go up to get executed, they would pay the executioner. They would give him a tip. Because they thought, well, if I pay this man, he's going to have more incentive to do a good job and make this as quick as possible for me so that I don't have to suffer. And then even after they would die, like as I mentioned, they'd be able to wear their best outfits and stuff. Mm-hmm. 
that was incentive for the executioner because after he committed the deed of killing the person, he would get to keep the clothes if he wanted to. Really? So in some cases, not in all cases, but if he did a good job, a clean cut on the first swing, then you're minimizing the amount of damage you're doing to that like nice clothing. So then you can keep it and take it home. But yeah, it was a, it's a very interesting way of incentivizing the person that's going to kill you. Tipping your executioner has to be one of the most wild things I think we've ever talked about on this show. It is, but I mean... Just ma- slipping him a fiver, like, makes, hey, make sure you hit the nerves. Yeah, it like, makes the sense. Right like, spot. Don't hit me in the back of the skull, like, actually make this quick. Right, make sure this trap door while I'm getting hung actually works. Yeah. For the main focus of Harrington's book, which I mentioned earlier, an executioner named Franz Schmidt, who was typically sure-handed in his practice, even took three swings with his sword on one woman who was being hysterical on the platform. And that wasn't really that far off from the, from the norm. While a good amount of the executions did go pretty smoothly, there's plenty of examples of times that they did not end super cleanly. Or you needed a couple tries. Jeez. Yeah. And it was different because Franz Schmidt is a German fellow. And in most places, you would think that the execution took, head, took place where they would lay the head on a block and then swing an axe down on the neck. But in Germany, it was different. They would use a, a long sword. So they would most of the times have the person who is being executed stand or kneel so that the person could like swing the sword with enough momentum that they would get a clean cut. And I heard in one source that even uh, one person was being executed and right before the person was swinging the sword, they put their hands up next to their head and oh. the executioner swung clean through both of the hands and the guy's neck and chopped his head off in one swing. Because once you get enough momentum with those heavy long swords, it's not going to stop for anything. So it's a, it's a very different execution style depending on where you are in Europe at this time. So for executioners, it wasn't necessarily a job that they would choose in this time period either, because a lot of the time you inherited the job from a family tie. So most executioners descended from an executioner. So your father's an executioner. Sorry, buddy. That's probably what you're going to end up doing too. And surprisingly, many of those that occupied this position were actually quite literate and it meant that they were more educated than the common man and even doubled as doctors sometimes. So it's a very far cry from the typical trope that we see in movies and TV. Like, they're not just big, dumb brutes. Mm. They're actually pretty well-educated and can read and write compared to most of the people at the time who couldn't do that. So You probably for sure have to know a little bit about the anatomy of the human body, I would yeah. assume. especially when you're not the person doing beheadings, when you're doing hangings and stuff like that. you have mm. to. You have to know that the person's dead, so you have to have some knowledge of finding the way to check that they're dead. Right. But they also didn't garner a lot of respect from the common man at the same time because they were the executioner. And many times they couldn't even go to church or get married in a church, and they had to get married in their own homes because the stigma surrounding the guy in the town that kills everybody. (laughs) I mean, he's not a guy you want to hang out with. I. But at the same time, it's not his fault that he got stuck in this position. Most right. of the time, it's just you got born into it. No, so. totally understandable. But it's just when you're thinking, oh, let's have some beers with the boys. You're not going to bring the butcher of men. I mean, <laughs> you know? 
or he probably do, or, has some crazy or stories. Do you bring him? Yeah, right. <laughs> he could be the best time at the party. Right. Yeah. This is my buddy Franz. He's just very, very quiet. But once you get to know him, he's an absolute hoot. <laughs> he tells some killer you don't jokes. Know what I saw last weekend. <laughs> right. <laughs> he's the early Vietnam flashback guy. Oh my gosh. Hey, Franz, how was work? I do not want to talk. Don't ask. But in a case like Franz Schmidt, he was quite well respected because he did his job very well and he was very professional in his execution styles. And eventually he broke the stigma his family had attached to it by appealing to the local authorities after he retired to allow his children to find other employment. So he got his kids out of the same position that he was in and eventually they got to live normal lives. So good for him. Good for him. Yeah. Let them go be something else. They're ironically defense attorneys. (laughs) (laughs) They're on the other side of the courtroom. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But in the cases of executioners who weren't as highly regarded, there were instances of botched jobs. And in some cases, the person swinging the axe might completely miss the mark and hack away at the back of someone's head or their shoulders until they finally hit the target and got rid of the person's head. And... A lot of the times, this was either just because they were someone off the street that got picked up to do the job that day, or they were just drunk because they knew that they were going to have to kill someone that day, which was pretty common amongst this career path. He's just seeing three heads on the block. Yeah, so you can imagine he's not going to hit very true if that's the case. No, I'm just also picturing from the Attila the Hunt episode, the blind guy with the sword. <laughs> sword. That was also their method. Wow. He's swinging it around. <laughs> Right, he'll eventually hit hit him. In other instances, the local authority might stop an execution after three swings to make sure that the cruel instance didn't continue. So there was some precedent in certain areas to stop this from going on if the person really was fucking up that bad. Right. No one, no one wants to see, like, four chops. Yeah, everyone's there to see this person die. They're not there to see this person get mutilated. Right. Unless it's specifically meant to be a mutilating. Yeah, unless uh, it's a drawing and quartering, then that's you know what you're going to get. I hate that you made me do research on that. Well, not made me, but suggested that I do research on that. You're welcome. It's gross. It is. But we'll get to that later. It is very gruesome. However, sometimes the punishment being violent was the whole point. Because the more violent the method, the more impactful the statement that the authorities were trying to make. One example of this is execution by the wheel, which is one of the most cruel of all. The main idea is that a person would be tortured for a while until they would be either hit with a wagon wheel or a specialized iron bar. And before they were hit, they would be attached to either a wooden wheel and then hit with a wheel or attached to pegs on the ground with their arms and limbs extended so that it would ensure breaking of the bones. Sometimes the executioner would start from the head and give the victim a relatively painless death, but other times they would start from the bottom and break the victim's bones all the way up until the person died, sometimes taking up to 30 hits to to get the job done. That sucks. Oh my god, that sucks. Yeah, it's very brutal. There are plenty of other execution methods employed as well, such as boiling alive, burning at the stake, and, as I mentioned before, drawing and quartering. And this wasn't just a consequence for major crimes, such as murder. It could be something as small as, as I mentioned, cutting down a tree or robbing a rabbit warren. However, most of the juries would not fully convict in these more 
petty crime cases because they still had to give the consent to execute a person on something like that. What is a rabbit warren? Just a guy that no like, idea. Big guy in a trench coat uh, with I rabbits hanging. Don't I know? I I didn't look it up, which I probably should have. So I will do that now. That is nuts. I still can't get over the wagon wheel one. What kind of cruel monster would start from the bottom and not just start with the head? But ugh. I mean, it. I guess it kind of depends on like who the person was. Uh, like, oh, I guess if, if they a were ba- a very bad criminal to make right. them suffer. But I just really don't know. Uh, apparently, a rabbit warren is a series of underground tunnels where rabbits live. So. Well, hot dog. Apparently, you're just <laughs> you're robbing Rob- Peter, Cot- Peter Cottontail. <laughs> right, him and caught for it. Him and Bugs Bunny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So now Evan is going to give us a couple examples of some of these executions that would have happened around this time, and give us a a little more of a picture of a, a couple people that got put to different various cruel methods of death yeah we have right now i have two for you that kind of go in this more medieval time you know early execution time when europe was just a wild place for executions. yeah and, and keep in mind too that not only are they executing people in these various cruel ways but they're also just doing torturous methods as well along the, along the way doing all of this so yes yes for sure But one of these individuals, his name was William Maurice, and he was the first documented person to ever get drawn and quartered. So this is... Yeah, we briefly mentioned this in the William Wallace episode, but yeah, it's a a brutal practice. Yeah, absolutely insane. So the drawn part uh, typically, you know, comes first. So in this case, poor Maurice was dragged by horses to the execution table. And keep in mind, these are like medieval roads. Uh, so Cobblestone at best. <laughs> very, yeah, very stony, very just, you know, not, not the smooth highways that we have yeah, today. Even that would suck, though. Right, and it's also horses, so those bad boys are galloping. You're constantly hitting the ground, bumping your head. He was then tied to four horses that were headed in the opposite directions, which is the quartering part. So all of his limbs just went completely different directions by horses. The body parts were then displayed around town. However, before he was beheaded, they actually took out, or excuse me, they actually disemboweled and castrated him. And if you don't know what those two words mean, uh, I do not want to tell you on these airwaves. <laughs> you can Google those by yourself. Yeah, they they just cut you open. Just let you look at it, too. And then this man was beheaded. Yep. And in some cases, with drawing and quartering, they would actually, before they behead you, burn the entrails and your genitals in, t- in front of the still alive person. Yep. <laughs> which, if there's not a... That, that has to be the most sadistic thing I've ever heard in my yeah, life. Yeah, this one and, and the wheel are both just absolutely brutal. And now, our favorite game for today, what was William Maurice's crime? Oh, gosh. Um, he looked at a woman weird. <laughs> he looked at her ankles. <laughs> in the medieval ages? Are you kidding? <laughs> but no, he was a... Pirate. Oh, okay. So this one I could maybe see arr. some army <laughs> legs. Are you doing okay over there? Army genitals. <laughs> <laughs> 
But then the other uh, kind of the first this the this is excuse me the other medieval story that I have for you, which is a re- relatively quick one, was actually the story of the unnamed men. And this was the first ever recorded instance of being burned at the stake. Nice. So not much is known about this case, only that these unnamed men were accused of sodomy and received the punishment of death by fire. That is a big one back in these medieval cases, like buggery and sodomy, which... If what you, is buggery? If you don't know what buggery <laughs> is, it's anal intercourse so <laughs> what's sodom- that apparently that was warranting of death i was just about to type in uh sodomy and buggery differences but i don't want to do that yeah you maybe shouldn't <laughs> but yes they were burnt alive uh, on the same stake in amsterdam ah <laughs> um, yes, what like, a change like i mentioned yeah first recorded to be punished for a the first recorded to be punished for these acts so being gay men uh, in the Northern Netherlands. Okay, sucks to be that. That sucks for them. Yeah, that I can't imagine. Yeah, it's I, like, well, I don't know. There's really nothing I can do about trying this. to live your life. Yeah. and then that happens. And they're like, well, we hate it. So it's not fun. <laughs> we need you both on this pole. So eventually, these medieval methods made way for more "quote unquote" civilized methods of execution. Once more established police forces became normalized, the shift from execution as a form of power, like a display of power, to a way of punishing the worst criminals took place instead of uh, just making a public spectacle of it. As a woman named Catherine Royer argued, the 16th century really took on the role of spectacular executions, which involved multiple forms of violent death. But then it transitioned from using the execution itself as an example of the state's power to post-death public displays where victims' heads and body parts would be displayed after their death in public domains to give examples of what would happen to criminals if they were caught instead of the spectacle itself being the way that they would show what they could do to you. That's almost a weirder practice as well because there's just so much quote-unquote like humiliation just to have your rotting head up on like right in the town square where like the marketplace is happening. Yeah, I got a lot of information for this like for what they would do with that from it, it was a introduction to a paper i believe online and it was called executions in the criminal corpse i believe is what the name of it was where he the man basically talks about how they would treat the body post death of a criminal where they would just throughout the years it changed drastically to basically torturing a body after it was already dead to prove a point instead of torturing a body when it's alive or a person i guess at that point not the body but yeah mm-hmm. Huh. It was a it was a weird shift from going to public executions that were very bad while they were alive to just here's a head. Oh my gosh! It's a very much love Vlad the Impaler style where they would row, rows of heads along the roadways and stuff like that. Humankind, man. So the method of popular execution changed in this time period to mainly hangings in the 18th and 19th centuries, coupled with the newly invented guillotine in France specifically. The guillotine replaced manual beheadings, getting rid of the human element in accuracy, and kept the executions cleaner. And hangings had already been happening in the 16th century, but kind of took a shift to a new form of hanging in the later years. Yeah, it's a very interesting story with the guillotine. So while hanging, like you mentioned, was kind of like all the rage in Europe, especially England, like they were just hanging everyone. 
Uh, Dr. Joseph Ignace Guillotine was devising you know, this more humane punishment for convicted felons, specifically in France. And after he tested out this new invention, the guillotine, of course, named after himself, uh, he tested it out on various animals as well as human corpses. It was decided that the blade beheaded the test subjects cleanly enough that it was ready to use on a live person. So you think there was a sign-up sheet for convicted like murder row or murders row uh uh death row death row thank inmates. you you think that they were like sign up for our beta test <laughs> I, I mean if it was cleaner and quicker than someone hacking at my body with an axe i'd probably say yes yeah for sure and so the first ever person to get guillotined was nicolas jacques pelletier and he had his head chopped off instantly and cleanly and landed in the supplied wicker basket while the crowd jeered their disapproval at this new humanitarian method. So people in France were actually pissed. Yeah, because they wanted to see the whole show, and it's just quick and over this way. So Right, and there wasn't even any blood involved because, well, of course the blood comes out after the head comes off, but the surrounding area is immediately or is laid down with sawdust. So the sawdust actually picks up all the blood so there's really no show anymore. It's just like slice and gone. Slice and dice. Just like Fruit Ninja. <laughs> <laughs> Human Fruit Ninja. Right. And yeah, people were truly, truly pissed because it lacked the brutal and slow death of uh, the other other methods. Yeah, it is interesting, too, that you mentioned they practiced this on an animal before they did it to a human. But that was just a common thing. Like Franz, Sch- Franz Schmidt, he wrote in his journals because he did keep a journal of pretty much his entire life and that's it was found eventually and that's where Harrington got a lot of his information from but uh he talks about when he was younger before he was actually the executioner when he was about to take over for his father he had to behead a dog in their backyard to make sure that he was like good enough to do it on a person so what is this old yeller it, My it God. is very weird how they tested like their their methods of of execution to get ready for it, and we get pissed when we put like or when we test like lipstick on animals. Yeah, nowadays, exactly. Which is still wrong. I'm not saying that. Like, leave animals alone. But also, we've come a long way. We're not chopping. <laughs> We're not chopping the backyard. <laughs> no. And fun fact: the guillotine was the execution method of choice in France until 1977. Yep. I mean, it is one of the cleaner and quicker ways, I guess. So does the job if i had to pick my way it's i'd rather do this there is what there was one instance of that the guillotine not working there was just a large larger man right that got yeah. executed and a big just, old thick neck yeah and it got caught halfway in and they had to drop it again oh, oh man just laying there with your head and having to hear the thing like, yeah the rope and like the pulley make the squeaking noises. <laughs> what do we do yeah <laughs> oh yeah so this is where you the the phrase for hanging hung from the neck until dead it's it's an interesting phrase and there's a lot of controversy behind where it came from but it pretty much is a phrase that came into being when it was happening for drawing and quartering because a lot of the times in the process of drawing and quartering they would hang a person till just before they died and then they would proceed with the actual method of drawing and quartering Right. So that's why the phrase hung from the neck until dead came into play, because they would have to actually hang them until they were dead. So you could say, 
I sentenced this person to be hung and drawn and quartered instead of hung from the neck till dead and just doing it that way. And there's a lot of claims of people who were hung and they didn't actually die immediately. So there was one famous one in Scotland for this woman who was hung and they thought she was dead. And then once they were getting ready to bury her body, she sat up in the coffin and was still alive. Like the undertaker. (laughs) So she was very weak. Obviously, she had just been hung from the neck. But that there was a lot of controversy saying that that's where it came from because she was exonerated after that, saying she technically served her sentence because she was hung and it didn't say until death. So they couldn't go back and do it again. But yeah, it's very interesting where these turns of phrase actually originate. What a loophole to get out of dying. Exactly. That is incredible. And that's why they state in almost every execution, like, until death. Because technically, if you sit in the electric chair and you don't die from the first shock, then if it's not until death, then I guess you're good to go. Oh, yeah. And there's so many instances, especially the first couple rounds of electrical chair executions where it took like three minutes or like three different shocks to actually get it fun time not one bit but it's funny that you mentioned the uh like the hanging not working that actually happened to john smith like you know the The guy from basic name in the world yes like you know the guy from the pocahontas movies yeah that actually happened to him in real life he was hung by the gallows Except he wouldn't die, and he hung there for 15 minutes, and then people were like, all right, that's enough. Yeah. And then he was just allowed to go back on the Virginia, excuse me, on the Virginia, like the colony council in Jamestown. (laughs) It's like, well, that's fine. What a shift in lifestyle. And then, and then he actually, one of the councilmen that he was rivals with, that, um, one second, and his name was George Kendall. John Smith was on the board to send him to death. <laughs> and so John, George Kendall actually. What a 180. Yeah. What a started from the well, bottom. I guess, now we hear. Maybe not the bottom because he was hanging up yeah, high. But, <laughs> but yes, he uh, accused Kendall of being a spy for the Spanish. What a move. He got, what a revenge story. He really took the power back. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as, as Evan mentioned with that story, when hangings first began, according to Franz Schmidt's journals, most of the time a person would just be stood on a platform of some kind, like a ladder or a crate, and then simply shoved off by the executioner and would be strangled to death by the rope. That was the common practice. And in some instances, the condemned may be shown mercy in the way of others pulling on their legs to bring about a quicker end to their suffering. So... You, if you were getting hung back in the day, it was not a short process. It would take anywhere from like 7 to 15 minutes, uh. depending on how heavy you were, I guess, and how much that's pulling on your throat. And in some cases, they would do them with multiple people at a time where they would just hang ropes from a large tree branch and have people stand on a horse cart, and then the horse cart would pull the cart out from underneath the condemned, and all of them would hang next to each other four or five at a time. But it was the same thing. They would just be strangled to death. And just put to put it in perspective, that's seven, at least seven minutes of people, like the crowd's cheering yeah. while this is happening. They're all very happy while that you're, this is happening. While you're dying. Yeah. For probably stealing a loaf of bread. Yep. But eventually, a man named William Marwood changed this, what was called the short drop method of hanging and substituted it for the long drop method. 
So in the long drop method, it's kind of where the platform with the hatch started to become implemented. And instead of the quick draw method of hanging by just pushing someone off of a ladder, it was now getting down to a science, more or less. A person's weight and height would be accounted for when crafting the rope used to hang them. And this was the most important thing that people found out throughout the time of hangings. Because you see, when someone is subjected to the long drop method, if the rope is too short, then it's basically just an elaborate version of the short drop and strangles the person. However, if the rope is too long, the person falls too fast and the head is torn from the body oh. in a gruesome display of death. And in these cases, people would be less than excited to see the person die. <laughs> that's, that's where they draw the line. Yeah, that's seeing where, someone's yeah. head literally torn from their body. Yeah, it's it's not a good not a good way to go. But they eventually did figure out, okay, we need to account for how much this person weighs, how tall they are. Then we can figure out how long this rope should be so that it simply breaks the neck and it's a relatively humane way of killing someone, I well, guess. Well, hot dog, are you telling me that there's math involved in this? There is math and there's body math involved in this. Well, look at that. Our Teachers were right. Yeah, guess, math, yeah. math is involved <laughs> yeah. in everything. When you're mad about taking algebra, just think about all the people you could hang with that knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, hang, no. <laughs> hanging became a very popular method in the U.S. Uh, for instance, John Smith, as Evan mentioned, where the states would, a lot of states would resort to capital punishment simply because they didn't have a state penitentiary to hold criminals and saw no alternative to the death penalty, which is interesting. It's an Can interesting imagine, way to just decide that someone should die. Yeah, being told, well, you didn't really commit that bad of a crime, but we're kind of out of room. Sorry. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> However, a majority of those that were executed in the 18th and 19th century were slaves, sadly. And still to this day, the majority of people who have been executed, as far as putting them into categories, in the U.S., it still is a majority slaves. So that shows how many slaves were executed by various methods, mostly hanging. But they likely wouldn't have had a chance to go to jail anyways, so that's fact that they didn't have a state penitentiary didn't really matter in that case. But in North Carolina, the array of crimes punishable by death in the mid-1800s was huge, to say the least. And just a few examples of these crimes included murder, rape, statutory rape, slave stealing, burglary, arson, buggery, sodomy, bestiality, dueling where death occurs, hiding a slave with intent to free him, and castration. That's not even all of them. <laughs> I just listed a few. It's like the first one, two, three, four, six, seven. Like, wait, no. Yeah, the first like six or five. Six, yeah. It's like, and then it's buggery and sodomy. Like, and just yeah. leave them alone. Bestiality, I could see. Yeah, it's fine. And then dueling where death occurs. It's like, it's duel is a, saint, a state-sanctioned thing at this time. And that's, that's the whole purpose of a duel is to kill the other, other person. person. So when you have dueling where death occurs as a punishment by death, like, how does that work? There, I'm just assuming there had to be some sort of state official that had to watch the two men and or women just pinky swear beforehand, before yeah. the duel, that will shoot for, like, the elbows. It's literally just the state saying, like, you can duel, but can you? <laughs> <laughs> They're taking our freedoms away. <laughs> yeah. Near the end of the... 
19th century and into the 20th century reforms for the death penalty were already kind of underway. People began to attack public executions as cruel, and the spectacles themselves would often incite violence among the onlookers, who were a lot of the times drunk and were attempting to fight for souvenirs after the execution would take place. So people in the crowd would charge the gallows after someone was hung to take a piece of the gallows with them as a souvenir or a piece of the person's clothing, whatever they could get their hands on, really. So it was inciting more violence after the fact than it was from the actual person getting executed. People, how are we at... How? Yeah, how, how is humankind just like And now existed? people say that true crime is like a big boom. <laughs> I just, I'm just picturing somewhere, somewhere, I guarantee a family has just been passing down like a piece of, a piece of like the block that, I don't know, someone was hung on. Yeah, right. Like Mary Queen of Scots was hung on or whatever. Right, yeah. Or like the beheadment of... Like Anne Bolin, Henry VIII's uh, wife that he accused of incest with her brother just so that he could basically cut off her head and marry someone else. Yeah, he was good at that. <laughs> yeah, just because she wasn't you know, giving him kids. Yeah, and Henry VIII is the guy, I believe, who was excommunicated by the Pope eventually and just like... Start his own church. Yeah, so he was like, oh yeah, well, I don't want to get... Or I want to get a divorce and you can't stop me because I started my own church. Yeah, this man, he divorced his first wife, Catherine, and then he could, just because she couldn't produce an heir, and then Pope Clement VII kept on getting bribes from Charles V of France to like not legitimize legiti- legitimize you got the, it, yep. uh, the divorce. And so he kind of just did it anyway and actually married Anne in secret. And then when she couldn't have any babies after miscarriages and like giving birth to a stillborn male child, uh, Henry accused her of adultery with multiple men and incest with her brother. And Which then, is just insane because at the time period, you get like, you have 12 children, but like one of them survives. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, he was just like, that's two. Like, oh, you're over for 2 out of here. But yeah, and then she was be, oh, excuse me. Yep. She was beheaded. So I wonder how much that axe would have gone for. Honestly, probably a lot. A lot of gold. It probably would have been a relic of the church, honestly. Oh, they probably would have gave it like a, like somehow that acts as a saint. Yeah. So coming back to more modern times, uh, some states in the U.S., the first being Michigan, abolished the death penalty, but it was relatively short-lived and eventually states moved from mandatory death sentences to discretionary ones. And in 1888, a new method of execution was introduced that reinvigorated the public appeal for the death penalty. The electric chair was a new and supposedly more humane way of execution introduced by a man named Alfred Peter or Alfred Porter Southwick in the late 1880s. And Evan has some more research on the history of the electric chair and some of its more dubious ties to very famous people in U.S. history. Yeah, you could say at the time there was a lot of buzz going around the electric chair coming. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Very very well done. Very well done. Yes. Yes. Bringing the electricity to the show. (laughs) 
All right, you're cut. You're done. Right. <laughs> too many, too Evan many. Evan doesn't have any information, actually. <laughs> yeah, we're just moving moving straight on. He had to go home. <laughs> yeah, had to go up on timeout. But beginning in 1886, uh, this is where the New York State government actually established a legislative commission to really dig into alternate, alternate and more humane forms of capital punishment. Uh, just because until then, hanging was still the number one method of carrying out the death penalty. And this was just considered far too slow and just kind of a gross way of execution for the sophisticated 1880s. It is not even that slow, though, because when you get it correct, it simply breaks the neck and they're dead. Yep, but if you get it too correct, the head just pops right (laughs) off. That is true. (laughs) I guess if if you have a very incompetent hangman, then you're not in for a slow death. Right, right. But uh, so like you mentioned, Jacob... Uh, There's also the big time of electricity, and in addition, two very famous electric companies, one being the Edison General Electric Company, which was founded by one Thomas Edison, which was a supporter of the DC current of electricity, which if you're not familiar, stands for direct current, which means the electric current flows in one direction, and he was against George Westinghouse, who developed AC service and started the Westinghouse Corporation. And if you're unfamiliar with AC, that stands for alternating current. So it means that the electrical current is it, it goes in the reverse direction in a circuit. So one only goes one way while the other goes the other. And now DC service depended on these thick copper electrical cables and copper prices were rising at the time. So DC service was limited by not being able to supply customers who lived beyond a few miles of a DC generator. Thomas Edison reacted to the competition, and he admitted on close to his deathbed, Thomas Edison actually did admit that AC current was better and a more sustainable way for electricity. Did he also admit that he just stole all of his ideas from Nikola Tesla? Nikola Tesla. (laughs) He took that one to his grave. Yeah, I, I imagine. But uh, just because he didn't want to lose his business, he didn't want to lose his business to the AC service by George Westinghouse, he actually started a smear campaign against Westinghouse, claiming that AC technology was unsafe to use. And in 1887, Thomas Edison held a public demonstration in West Orange, New Jersey, to support his accusations. And he did this by setting up a 1,000-volt Westinghouse AC generator. He attached it to a metal plate, and he publicly executed a dozen animals by placing these poor poor creatures on the metal plate and hit the switch on the generator. So over a dozen animals just died instantly. Well, not instantly, but they died via electrocution. I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure this is where he executed an elephant by electrocution, too. So, oh, he might. I, I don't have the exact animals, but I mean, that yeah. would be a very convincing one. I'd have to look it up, but yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a wild time for the U.S. And the press, like, of course, the newspapers had an absolute field day describing just the horrific thing that they just saw. And this is where the new term electrocution was actually coined. Then in June 
On June 4, 1888, the New York legislature passed a law establishing electrocution as the state's new official method of execution. However, since two potential designs, AC and DC, of the electric chair actually did exist, it was left to a committee to decide which form to actually choose. So there was an actual legislative committee trying to decide which kind of electricity do we use. And this is so, so important. You may be thinking, you know, why aren't George Westinghouse or Thomas Edison being like, yeah, use our, use our technology, use our electric, our, our electric current to execute these people. Well, you don't want the same electricity that's killing people inside your house. Yeah. And that was the major opinion of the public at the time because they were just so freaked out that people could die by this. To the point where Thomas Edison actively campaigned for the selection of the Westinghouse chair hoping that consumers would not want the same type of electrical service in their home that was used for execution. So this was strictly a corporate war, if you, were, if you will, yeah. with smear campaigns. Exactly. And the, he did a, it wasn't for this specific time, but he did electrocute an elephant named Topsy. Oh. And there's an actual video of the electrocution of this elephant available online. It happened in 1903, so it's a black and white video. But it was when Edison was in his war with Nikola Tesla to mm. prove the dangers of alternating currents. So, yeah, he, he was just out here electrocuting animals left and right. Oh, yeah. I mean, Edison even went so far to hire an inventor named Harold Brown, and Brown wrote a letter to the New York Post describing a fatal accident where a young boy died after touching an exposed telegraph wire that was running on AC current. Brown and his assistant then began designing an actual electric chair for Edison, uh, publicly experimenting with DC voltage to show that it left the poor lab animals tortured but not dead. Oh, that's so much better. <laughs> So his whole, yeah, his whole campaign was AC voltage actually kills, DC voltage will brutally mangle and harm, but you're still kicking. (laughs) And one of his biggest selling points was like AC is like instant death. Because keep in mind, that was a huge part of the decision for the electric chair to begin with because they wanted a more humanitarian way. So he just wanted to keep on demonstrating how AC killed Literally everything instantly. So, like I mentioned, Harold Brown was the inventor that was hired by the Edison Research Company, and I did mention assistant. That assistant was Dr. Fred Peterson. Now, Dr. Peterson was actually the head of the government committee that was in charge of selecting the best design for the chair. (laughs) And while he was still on the payroll of the Edison company edison electrical company he chose the electric chair with ac voltage effectively effectively killing it yeah it's it's pretty much just him walking out of the the offices at looking at edison and flipping him off with both hands yeah double birds out out of the door right and on january 1st 1889 this is when the actual first electrical execution law went into full effect westinghouse george westinghouse the main ac current guy 
naturally protested the, the decision and refused to sell any AC generators to any prisons. But Tom and Ed, Thomas Edison and Harold Brown provided the AC generators needed for the electrical chairs anyway. George Westinghouse then went on a campaign funding all of the appeals for the first, pres- first prisoners that were convicted and sentenced to death by electrocution, made on the grounds that electrocution was cruel and unusual punishment. Ah, it still is. <laughs> but Edison and Harold Brown both testified to the state that this execution was quick and painless. Ah, just not true at all. <laughs> and then, this is the most like clear-cut thing, like, once, once you hear this, like that, that's just a death sentence for AC. Ironically, for many years, people actually referred to the process of being electrocuted in the chair, so execution via electric chair, as being Westinghoused. Wow. So it truly killed the AC generate, like the AC current, like that whole other side of electricity. This killed it. Yeah. Truly killed it. And like I mentioned, Edison actually admitted years later that he thought that AC was a more sustainable and more superior technology to DC. Yeah. He was not like, he was very stick to his guns kind of guy. Thomas Edison was a dick. He was a very big (laughs) asshole. Yeah. And then you're probably all curious as who the first person to receive the chair was. And if you're wondering that, you better wonder. Did he have a good time? <laughs> the answer is no. <laughs> no, sir. So the first person was William Kemmler. He was serving time in Auburn Prison in New York for butchering his lover with an axe, and he was chosen to be the first person to die by electrocution. The electric chair, in this case, delivered its current through electrodes positioned on the head and the back of the felon. So I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the chair is, is, of course, set up, the generator is set up, and the electrodes go on the temples, and I believe the nape of the neck, if I'm not mistaken. Jacob's nodding at me I'm to give me sure, some confirmation. I'm pretty sure, yeah. Uh, but yes, and then once you hit the on switch, all the electrodes and the electrocutions, electric, oh my god, electric currents go directly to the brain. However, when it was used on Kemmler, the shock lasted 17 seconds before it failed. So he is still alive at this point. Yeah, he's sizzling. And he smells burnt. He's sizzling. (laughs) A second shock was then delivered for approximately two minutes, and this eventually killed Kemmler. Despite the initial mishap, this execution method was viewed as an overall success because it took less time than hanging. It just... It doesn't though, because like the setup for a hanging takes longer. But yeah, I mean the actual event doesn't. Right, and keep in mind the electric chair isn't a public like this isn't in public yeah. anymore as well. So this is very much closed quarters in a prison. But yeah, a full two minutes and seventeen seconds of a guy going and being very fried to a crisp. And I'm pretty sure he did start on fire. <laughs> So. Yes, he no, he did. He did start on fire because yep. they didn't put the sponge on. Yep. Uh, this is before they put the sponge on the uh, on the head to yeah, help with and the electricity. For, for those of you that don't know, the sponge in an electric chair situation is supposed to conduct the current into the person's body. 
And without it, it doesn't do that. So it literally just sizzles you and eventually will start you on fire. I believe this is also before they put, I believe it's a piece of wood between their teeth. So like their teeth are like constantly chattering. So like they're like biting their tongue off. Literal death rattles. Yes. So that is a little bit about the electric chair. Yeah. It was developed basically because of a corporate war, which neither electrical company wanted to take credit for. Yeah. And uh, eventually I would probably like to do a whole episode just on botched executions because there's a lot there where it's like, it's criminals that we would wouldn't be able to cover in a full episode, but mm-hmm. we can cover in a shorter episode and just kind of right. compile them. But one of them that I do want to highlight here is a woman named Ruth Snyder, and she was executed by electric chair in let me see 1928. And the the reason that she's important is because it's the only picture that we have of someone in the process of being electrocuted in the electric chair. So basically, she was sentenced to death in New York's Sing Sing prison, and they got a bunch of reporters from out of state because they knew it was such a public spectacle, and they said, we don't want all of these reporters locally trying to sneak in cameras. And so this guy from Chicago, who was working for the Daily News, he got hired on to go to New York, and he put a camera on his ankle and hit it underneath his pant leg and had a wire to the camera attached to his arm and up his sleeve so that he could remotely trigger it. And so once the execution started, he pointed his toe towards Ruth Snyder and took a photo without being able to see what he was taking a photo of and ended up getting a photo of her mid-execution. So it's, it's a very haunting photo because it's kind of blurry so you can see the motion of oh, yeah. her body. Yeah. And she's you can kind of see that her hands are gripping the side of the chair. Yeah, it's a, it it was front page news in New York City the day after he took that photo. So Yeah, this is one of the more haunting pictures I think I've seen on the show. Yeah, it's it's I can't believe he got like he had to angle his foot perfectly. Yeah, he he said he used the point of his shoe as a way to angle the camera so he knew kind of where he was taking the photo from. Right. Oh my gosh, that is But it was a precedent for like security guards after this for when a reporter would come in, they would pat them down so much more thoroughly because yeah. he snuck right past them. So, yeah, it's it's very interesting. Ooh, yeah, hate this. It's very interesting story. Do not like how blurry she is. Yeah, it's considering not, you know what what's happening. Yeah, you can look. I don't think we'll post that one on social medias, but nah. if you want, if you want to <laughs> see it, you can look it up for yourself. Just look up electric chair photo, and you probably will find it. But up until the mid twentieth century, the abolition movement for the death penalty once again slowed down after more states were closing in on ending the practice in the years prior. And eventually, death by gas chamber was introduced as a new, quote-unquote, humane way of killing someone. Uh, It was touted as a bloodless way of killing people. In 1930, a woman named Eva Duggan was executed in Arizona, the first woman in the state who was put to death. But her hangman misjudged the drop, and her head was indeed ripped from her body. And you would think that this would call for the abolition movements to start again. But instead, people protested individual criminals' deaths instead of protesting the death penalty overall. But eventually, in the latter half of the 20th century, the abolitionist movement started up again. 
When England and Canada began completing their exhaustive studies, which were critical of the death penalty, and death row inmates began to publish their own accounts of capital punishment in books and in film. That's super interesting because you're actually getting the perspective of the people being put to death. Yeah. And that's really when things actually start changing. Like, other than just that's a very broad strokes kind of thing where once you actually get perspective, yeah, that's when things start changing. People actually hear, you know, just accounts of people about to be put to death, probably like this, how scared they were and all that. That's when things start to change and it becomes more of a, I don't know, more humanized. Yeah, it really puts it into a a perspective that a normal person could understand, where you're just hearing it from another person like you who just happened to end up in that situation. But, I mean, obviously by their own choices, but it, it still puts it into a perspective, a human perspective versus you just looking at a picture in a newspaper. Oh, for sure. You see that picture in the newspaper and you think, well, you murder your wife with an axe. Yeah. Right? And then you don't get the more, I guess, not detailed, but you don't, you just don't get as much perspective. And then once it gets put into film and you see it on a TV where someone is being executed, like for, obviously this came later, but like the Green Mile or something like that. Oh, you, you just ruined my day. You just see something like that. And obviously that's going to put a damper on your day. So that movie makes me cry every time. Yeah. So it, it. Just as the visualization and realization of these things that really put an impact into this abolitionist movement. Mm -hmm. So this public exposure from different sides of the death penalty eventually pushed politicians to choose sides because public controversy was reaching a fever pitch around the mid to late 1900s. Multiple states began abolishing the death penalty, and in 1972... The court case of Furman versus Georgia narrowly passed the Supreme Court and ruled that the way capital punishment laws were written at the time made it a cruel and unusual punishment and violated the 8th and 14th Amendments in the United States. So for a few years, this ended the use of the death penalty. But eventually, states were rewriting their laws and reinstating the death penalty and by the 80s, there was another new form of execution that became a commonplace implement, which was lethal injection. Lethal injection is still the most popular way of execution in the United States today, despite being a controversial procedure, because since med medical professionals cannot compute the sentence due to the Hippocratic Oath, it's left to less qualified individuals to administer the actual execution method. There's some guy named Chuck. Yeah. It, which I thought was very interesting. Other countries still use methods such as stoning and hanging, and even though we have new modern methods, they still aren't full, foolproof. It is estimated that 3% of U.S. executions from 1890 to 2010 were botched, quote-unquote botched. And botched could mean it completely failed, or it could just be that there was some sort of way where it went off course from what the Typical procedure was, and it just didn't go as smoothly as was hoped. The method with the highest amount of botched executions is, ironically, lethal injection, with over 7% of them going wrong in some way, followed by lethal gas at just over 5%, and the lowest being firing squad at a resounding 0% failure rate. So, I don't know why we're just not shooting everyone if we are putting them to death. 
Right. I mean, what is it like five? Is it? I always forget how firing squad works. Is it five guys with loaded guns or five guys shoot four at blanks? I I guess it depends. Like, there's so many different ways that it's portrayed in popular media. I actually didn't look up what the the procedure is for it nowadays. I believe that some of them are just like there's four or five people that all shoot and then eventually one of them will hit the person in the place that kills them. Right. Because I did hear of one case in Mexico where a guy was put to he was sentenced to be put to death for by firing squad and all eight people i think it was missed his heart and sur- he Wal- survived. Wallace wilkerson i'm yeah. looking at it right now i typed it in so it it's not like a it's foolproof in the u.s i guess but there is instances where it doesn't work but i just feel like a 0.04 percent or whatever that would be chance of it failing is way better than a over seven percent chance yeah it's very like you know let's just get back to our roots and shoot people in the hearts yeah, that if, are convicted if, if we are gonna execute people do yes, it no, if we are going if, to do it in a way that's just nice and easy right but when in this case they did like multiple rounds and they just kept on missing so he got shot in, like in the torso and the stomach multiple times or excuse me the torso and the arm multiple times and one of the one of the uh the onlookers were like, Oh my god, oh my god, they actually missed it. Yeah. And then he lived until like eighty and went on went on a television or radio program with Ripley's Believe It or Not. Yep. Like he it was a crazy story. But in total, fifty five countries still retain the death penalty at the end of twenty twenty one is where that statistic came from. 108 countries have abolished it for all crimes, and as we mentioned at the beginning, the debate in the United States, where we currently live, still goes on and is a very hot-button issue. So there's a lot of people that are for it, there's a lot of people that are against it for various reasons, and it's kind of up to you to do your research, figure out what you believe, on what mm-hmm. side you stand, and yeah, that is a, an overview of the history of executions to, to where we are now. Absolutely wild. Yeah. You know, we just covered so many different creative, if you will, ways for humans to get rid of their crim- criminals. And man, is it gnarly. It is. It's, it, I mean, even though the electric chair and lethal injection and stuff go wrong, like a relatively high amount for something that should oh, yeah. be foolproof, uh, it's definitely better than having people drawn and quartered in the public square (laughs) or ran over by a wheel yeah 30 times yeah it's it's gotten better i suppose you could say but i guess if you're against the death penalty you still say that it's still not good enough that we still do it anywhere but Mm. especially in the middle east where they have very strict religious laws the the death penalty is still very much in effect over there in ways that are much more aggressive than things we do in the united states today but such as stoning, I believe that's it's, still a yeah, thing. They still, I'm almost positive that crucifixion is still a possible way of dying. Zoinks. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I, I hope we didn't make it too downhearted for or too uh, heavy on your conscience. But oh, I think we were pretty lighthearted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just keep talking about soup. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I just think it's fascinating. And I, when I went to Chicago for my birthday this year, one of the things that I did want to do was go to the Medieval Torture Museum, which sounds like if you tell someone that, you're like, the one thing I wanted to do is that. It, it makes them look at you a weird way. But for someone who's like a history nerd, like I am, it's just fascinating to me to see how we got from the point of nailing people's tongue to a post 
mm. and setting them on top mm. of a triangular shaped piece of wood with weights on their ankles. How we got from there to where we are now. It's just, it's, it's interesting. For my birthday, I've been planning a, just a trip to the bar, but. Hey, I did that. I at. did that too. It's the, we, you really have the duality of man on this podcast sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you really do. <laughs> Love it. But if you want to have a conversation with us about today's episode or any of our episodes. Of, a bunch of gruesome pictures of people getting murdered. Or memes. We love the memes. We do love the memes. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at gems underscore history. You can follow Jacob at Jacob from Wisco. You can follow myself at whatevskis. You can then find us on Instagram at gems underscore of underscore history underscore podcast. And then finally, you can find us at Gems of History Pod, as well as on Facebook at Gems of History Podcast discussion called The Agora. Yep. Uh, and in The Agora, let us know if you would like an episode in the future on just some botched executions, like some of the stories behind the people who ended up in that situation. And we could do kind of a, like we did when we did those six shorter history mm-hmm. stories. Something like that, except it's going to focus more on one certain thing, like the botched executions or something like that. So let us know if you would like to hear that, because if you don't want us to do something that's more gruesome like that, where it's people that didn't die in a way that was as smooth as it should have been. So I don't know if you guys want to hear that. If you don't want to, we won't do it, because I know it is kind of a lot. But yeah, let us know. But we may just do it. Yeah, it is, at the end of the day, it is our show, so yeah. we might just do it. <laughs> <laughs> this is our, this is our like we have a totalitarian rule on this show. <laughs> if, it, if it if I hear nothing back from anyone on whether we should or not, then we're gonna do it. So right, we have a totalitarian rule on the show unless you give us some nice feedback. Yeah, unless you give us five stars on iTunes and tell us not to do it. Right. <laughs> but yeah, if you guys do like the show and do like what you hear. Please do go and rate and review us. There's an option on Spotify to give us a star rating, and there's also a option on Apple Podcasts to give us a star rating along with comments if you would like to do that. But it does help us out. It gives us a little more exposure, bumps us up into the different category ratings on, on different apps. So please do that if you are so inclined. But we will be back with you guys next week, and hopefully it's not going to be as intensive a topic or as gruesome of a subject matter but we mm-hmm. will figure something out so oh yeah until then everyone have a great week we love you all and take care of yourselves 